the truth is messy. It's chaotic. It's complicated. It requires that we continually show up for the practice of presence, of listening, and of connecting to, of course, all of the information that we can engage with at the level of mind, but also the information that we can connect with in the level of the body, in the, in the felt sense of the body, and the information, the wisdom that comes from our hearts and our feeling sense of emotion. It's one of the most difficult parts of the spiritual journey is how do you learn to distinguish between the chatter of the mind and the natural intuition and wisdom of your body? This week on episode 136 of Life Amplified, we're going to get some help from my dear friend Shannon Algio. He has a brand new book called Trust Your Truth, and he's going to walk us through steps to help us heal self-doubt, awaken to our soul's purpose, and live the badass life that we're meant to live. Welcome back to Life Amplified. What is an amplified life? It's having amplified relationships with people who support and encourage you to be your best. It's having amplified energy to conquer the challenges of the day. And it's having an amplified career, one that's meaningful to you, the world, and your bank account. I'm Dan Mason, Life Reinvention Coach, helping you discover your calling and create an amplified life on your terms. This is the Life Amplified Podcast. It's one of the questions that I get most from podcast listeners, and one of the things that comes up a lot in my coaching practice is, how do I tell between the voice of fear versus my own intuition? And trust me, it's something I've had to learn the hard way myself. If I were able to trust my own truth, I would not have entered into a toxic marriage in 2011. If I were able to trust my truth, I would have left my corporate media career four years earlier than what I did. But coming up this week, our friend Shannon Algio is back. He's going to help us speed up the process. Named one of the 35 under 35 in Wellness to Watch by Wanderlust, Shannon Algio is a celebrated speaker, writer, and life coach. His popular podcast, The Soul Feed, features interviews with iconic cultural and spiritual leaders like Deepak Chopra, Carolyn Mace, Marianne Williamson, Danielle Laporte, and many more. And in his coaching practice, Shannon works with clients to heal old patterns of trauma so they can show up in the world with power, presence, and purpose. He has a brand new book called Trust Your Truth that will be available on March 1st. And I always love connecting with Shannon for a conversation that's almost like just, you know, walking onto a welcome mat to your own soul. Some of the topics that we're going to discuss today are the power of presence and how to distinguish between the wisdom of the body and the chatter of the mind. He's going to tell us all about yoga nidra and how it's a powerful technology to escape that fight or flight response in your body. Shannon will talk about how relationships are one of the most powerful vehicles to discover our truth. He'll also give us some specific steps to help us reset during any emotional trigger. We'll talk about shadow work and how it will help liberate you from dysfunctional relationship templates from childhood. We're also going to have an awesome conversation about how shame can be a pathway to your life's purpose. And he'll talk about the difference between the egoic search for truth and the spiritual path to truth. If you love the conversation today, make sure to screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter. Let us know that you're listening. 
You can tag Shannon at Shannon.Algeo, A-L-G-E-O, and you can tag me at CSC Dan Mason. If you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a friend. Also, if you're listening on Apple, we always appreciate those five-star ratings and reviews. And if you'd like to buy Shannon's book, complete with bonus meditations and yoga nidra exercises, you can do that at TrustYourTruthBook.com. This is an amazing conversation. Sit back, relax, learn how to connect with your own intuition. We're talking to Shannon Algio this week on Life Amplified. Shannon Algio, welcome back to Life Amplified, my friend. Life is so amplified when I'm talking to you, Dan Mason. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to connect and so happy for you. I know the new book, Trust Your Truth, has been a process that's been an incubation uh, for several years now. It's available March 1st, but it seems like the timing on the release, it's almost like a divine timing. Mm. When you look at the global landscape, we talk at this idea about trusting your truth. And yet we're living in an age where politicians, political parties, fringe extremist groups, social media, mainstream media, trolls online. Every, it seems like we're in a time where everybody feels like they have ownership of the truth mm. <laughs> and of the facts. And that anybody who disagrees with that truth, well, then you're a sheep you're a snowflake, you're, uh, you're brainwashed, all the words that have been thro- thrown around. Does it feel like this book is more relevant than ever right now? How can Trust Your Truth really connect and just speak to the times that we're living in? Yeah, you know, it, it, these are such great questions. And, you know, there is this sort of collective reckoning happening right now, like who who gets to determine the truth, like who gets to write what the truth is, what's in the history books, what the facts are, who, you know, what is information and questioning of like data and what's real, questioning of what's real that's happening on a major collective level. And I think, you know, we know that what's happening in the collective is also happening in the personal. And what, what inspired me to write Trust Your Truth was my own deep, deep denial of my own truth, a profound betrayal of self that I wasn't even aware that I was making. But it really happened for me in the context of a, of a former relationship where I just was kind of bought into this narrative of someone else's truth, of, of my ex-partner's truth. And I was denying my very real felt sense of an embodied gut intuition that there was something off in that relationship that that the relationship needed to to end but a bigger part of me was invested in in the lie was invested in holding on was invested in making it work what that relationship falling apart taught me my 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 partner you know cheated on me and my body very specifically over the course of many months communicated to me in the form of gut intuition in the form of something feeling off in my bones my body told me something's up here you've got to deal with this there is something's not right and i just suppressed it and ignored it and didn't want to believe it and i structured my life on the lie that the relationship was supposed to work 
instead of listening to my, my truth. But all along, even though I denied that knowing, that deep embodied knowing, I still had this thirst for truth. Still, there was still something in me that like wanted to face the whole total reality. So to go back to your question about like what's happening in the collective right now, the truth is never just one absolute thing. The truth is messy. It's chaotic. It's complicated. It requires that we continually show up for the practice of presence, of listening, and of connecting to, of course, all of the information that we can engage with at the level of mind, but also the information that we can connect with in the level of the body, in the, in the felt sense of the body, and the information, the wisdom that comes from our hearts and our feeling sense of emotion that so many of us, especially men, but more than just men, have been taught to deny our emotions. And I, I think, and I talk about in the book, like often women have been labeled like, oh, she's so crazy, she's so emotional, or, you know, men shouldn't cry because emotions are seen as bad when actually like what I've learned is that emotions are like incredibly profound teachers, but we've been taught to kind of favor the mind, not kind of, we've been taught to favor the mind. And so we deny our wisdom and our the, the wisdom that lives in our emotions. And so I think that what's coming up now for so many people is like, how do I listen? How do I listen to this, this part of me that knows the truth? It's one of the themes that you talk about in the book, and I think it's so important, is we try to intellectualize our emotions. <laughs> you know, it's that eternal head versus heart battle. And the, the heart, you know, at an emotional body level, it's usually just intuitive. It's the soft whisper, but the rational brain, the fight or flight response, <laughs> speaks first, it speaks loudest, it speaks more eloquently, you know, maybe in a 50,000 word soliloquy to, to rationalize. And that always seems to win out. Where do we learn that, by the way? Is that something that's conditioned in childhood? What was it for you where you learned to shut off the intuitive part of yourself and just live up here in the mind? I think it's many factors. I think you know, on one hand, the mind is amazing. Like, thank you, minds, for helping me make sense of this chaotic world. The mind helps organize and categorize and label and create a narrative that that I can digest in a way that's not just like completely disorienting and overwhelming. So the mind helps create the ego structure that allows us to uh, survive and function. So like, I feel like deep bow, deep, deep bow to the, to the mind. But then there's also the cultural element of manipulation and control. There's, it's like when you take it too far, there's this hypervigilance. There's this need to dominate that I think is coming up and just looking at and reckoning with like toxic masculinity and patriarchy and white supremacy these collective systems, but also these internalized systems of, of self-dominance. How can I control myself? How can I diet? How can I manipulate my body to look this certain way? How can I achieve grades so I can get approval from the society and go to college and get the job? And so like, we're, we're just kind of conditioned to strive in the mind. And like you said, the whispers of the heart are often more subtle um, until they're not, of course. <laughs> sure. And they're more chaotic. The heart doesn't care about the mind's agenda. The heart doesn't even care so much about survival. 
to, to me, the heart says, who gives an F how long you live or if you survive, if you're going to live, live, live with your truth, live with fulfillment, live like being who you really are. The heart wants us to transcend the ego. Sure. The heart is the one that says, this job feels like crap. Why are you here 60 hours a week? The mind says, well, but the paycheck's great. I can't make this money going any, you know, if I went anywhere else, I really love my coworkers and the heart it's, that's the tug. Yeah. But you don't love this. There's a greater gift to be expressed. What is the way that we can move beyond that then? Because ultimately a fulfilled life, I believe an amplified life Mm. is one that's lived from the heart, Mm. you know, true to who we are. How do we quiet the mind and really honor that intuition, not just hear it, but take action on it. It's a practice. It's a, it's a practice of deconditioning, like unraveling. I think of this, this need to control this need to survive this need to, you know, make enough money and provide. I mean, these are very real things. I don't want to like minimize them or be like, you don't need to do that. We do need to do that. Um, And so many of us have experienced that, like, to what end? Where's the fulfillment? Where's the amplified life? Where do I come online and get alive? And so for me, the transformative practice has been like the deep listening of meditation and yoga nidra. Um, and if your listeners aren't familiar, yoga nidra is the pa- practice of laying down <laughs> and feeling the support of the ground and to take it even deeper, like feeling the support of, of the goddess of yoga nidra, like mother earth, which is this like womb like quality of being held. And so many times I don't listen to my heart because my survival fight or flight mind kind of coping mechanisms are, you got to keep working, go, 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 get shit done be productive. And so I just keep hustling and working and trying to sort of, you know, take care of my survival. But the reality is, is like, Shannon, you can lie down for 30 minutes and breathe and feel held. There's a symbolic and also embodied experiential element to letting the ground hold me and to feeling like it's safe to let go. So in a very practical sense, I worked for about a year with uh, Sankalpa and Sankalpa is Sanskrit for a purified intention without doubt. Oftentimes we set goals. Like I might set a goal, like I want to make $10,000 this month, or I want to make like $200,000 this year or, or whatever the goal is. I want to lose a certain number of pounds. These are goals that often come from the fear of lack or from the fear of survival And so a sankalpa is going through a process of unraveling the fear and stepping into the real truth of the, of the desire that lies beneath the fear and setting a purified intention without doubt. So for me, that was for the last year, it's safe to surrender. It's safe to surrender. And it might sound simple or like, huh? But through the yoga nidra practice of laying down, I actually went through this practice that I learned from my teacher, Tracy Stanley and Chanti uh, Takarante Perez, my yoga nidra teachers, of placing the vibration of that sankalpa, it's safe to surrender, in the six, there's 61 points of the body where you can actually place this sankalpa. And 
it takes it from being like an affirmation or a goal or something that's kind of staying on the level of the conscious mind and it lets it seep like you're watering the soil of a plant and it lets it seep deeper into the nervous system and into the body and into the actual experience of like, yeah, for this 30 minutes, I'm going to surrender and feel that I can be held and that it's safe. And literally I just did this this morning and I started sobbing. What I'm hearing you share, it's like so many of us live our life when we talk about abandoning our truth. If I shapeshift, if I become this thing, if I become super successful, well, you know, I can get the love and support of my family, of my friends, of my peer group. And if I can't get that, by God, I'm just going to work myself into the ground and I can support myself, you know, because it's just me. I'm an army of one. And it's really just surrendering to to a more spiritual level of support, right? Just connecting with whatever you want to call that energy, universe, mother earth, but it, uh, allowing yourself to be supported in a really pure, authentic way. Yeah. Tracy Stanley, my teacher says that yoga nidra is the art of dying gracefully. Mm. And at the end of our lives, we're going to have to surrender, right? We're going to have to let go and give over to something bigger than us. So what does it look like? Like, you know, you, the question comes up, like, what, what am I letting die? You know, when I lay down for 30 minutes today, what am I letting die? And what I'm letting die is the need to be in control, the need for Shannon to be in the controlling, manipulative, I have this all figured out driver's seat. And then what gets to be uh, experienced is that connection to a greater power of being held that I think like, just because we're two men here, like for men, I don't know if you can relate to this, but like, I just feel like deeply embedded in my cells is this like pressure to be self-determining, self-sufficient and not need anyone or anything. And so it's been so healing to be like, yeah, I don't have any of this figured out. And it's interesting too, like, you know, as a man who coaches mostly women in my coaching Mm. practice, it's always interesting that when men haven't healed or haven't done this work, when we don't feel safe being in our emotions and we're living up here in our brain, then as fathers, it gets passed on to little girls. You're Mm -hmm. too emotional. What are you doing? You know, stop it. You're being a baby. And for my female clients, they live their life cut off from that emotional part, that divine feminine energy Mm. that's at their core. And then they wonder why they're anxious, why they're angry, why there's depression. So it's like as men, what we don't heal, (laughs) we typically, so many men end up passing that on you know, and passing that trauma on to their children. And and that works for sons as well. It's not, you know, necessarily just something that happens with daughters, but we just perpetuate the cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, the book is set up in alignment with the seven chakras, which are the seven energy systems in the body from the yogic tradition, but also science has found nerve ganglia, collections of, of nerves in each of these energy centers. So they're like, mm-hmm you know, spiritual and scientific energetic centers of nerve of nervous of the nervous system. And in the second chakra, which is all about creativity, flow, sexuality, and 
I, I talk about the balance of masculine and feminine, not male and female, but that each of us has these masculine and feminine energetic qualities, the, the masculine being the, the impulse to, um, to kind of harness and focus and direct and- Action-oriented. Action. And then, but that action can't move into anything if there's no space, if there's no um, container, if there's no stratosphere (laughs) to for for it to go into and so each of us has these qualities of softness of tenderness of fierce desire to to you know create something to drive and so it's like I think of like weaving these two qualities together within each of us and integrating like where is there maybe an imbalance and where am I denying my divine feminine where am I not letting go and creating the space to soften or where am I being too controlling and trying to like push, 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 push. And I found that if I sort of give myself the opposite of what I'm more dominantly doing, then I I kind of come into more of a balance of self. And corporate America for most people glorifies living solely in that masculine energy of go, 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 go hustle porn, as I like to call it, you know, glorifying 60 hour work weeks, but no spot for to rest, for reflection, for creativity, for intuition, for all the feminine properties. Yeah, well, and I'm thinking just as you're talking, like the parallels between what we do to our bodies when we're in that quote unquote, corporate America hustle of productivity to no end, but then also what we're doing collectively to Mother Earth, to this planet that holds us. We are oversaturating and, and, and pushing her beyond her communicated limits. The wildfires and the hurricanes and the rising temperature that she's like, chill, y'all. <laughs> um, and so we have to, both within ourselves and also in our culture, like reckon. I, I love the word reckon used to not resonate with me so much, but I, I see it as like kind of wrestling with or working with or kind of rubbing up against this tension that we are experiencing, which is like, we have to, we, we are being called to transform. If, I mean, if last year didn't teach us all that to some degree, sure. then what did it te- teach us? And, 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 and there's something about listening to the mother, listening to the earth, listening to the emotions, listening to those things that we tend to to deny in ourselves or label as feminine or too chaotic to deal with. It's like, what what is possible when we listen to that? When we mm. actually like value that wisdom and guidance and prioritize it and maybe even let it lead. You know, this idea of being able to listen to your own intuition, listen to your gut. If you can't do that for yourself, it's probably pretty hard to do that in a relationship with another. Relationships are a huge theme in this book. You spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, You say relationships with others give deep insight into our relationship with ourselves. And I love this quote. You said, each person you meet is a messenger here to reflect back to you your own power potential and inner truth. One of my spiritual teachers, Barbara Hall, she used to use the analogy that it's almost like a Broadway play, that every person that we come across, they are an actor on the stage, and they're simply there to advance the plot of you 
But many times we take relationships personally. We use it to justify old stories of I'm not enough, I'm not seen, I'm not loved. There's somebody listening today who's experiencing a lot of conflict in their relationship. How can that not just be a shit show that they have to live through, but maybe a mirror in which they're going to discover a deeper part of themselves? I love this question. It reminds me of um, the opening story that I like jump right into at the beginning of the book, which is about my dear friend, Nada. And it was um, on my birthday. I think it was my 31st or 32nd birthday. And I had just gotten back from this like three hour Reiki session that was like so intense and was dealing with some like real deep family stuff. And I came home before I was going to go out to dinner with a couple of friends and I was going to take a, a bath, like an Epsom salt bath. And I had like the candles lit and I was taking the bath. And last minute, my friend uh, Nada canceled our plans because she was going through something really intense and was experiencing some pretty um, heavy depression and was going through her own process. And I felt so abandoned on my birthday by this friend who she was supposed to pick me up and we were going to go to dinner. And I was so excited and so um, invested in that happening that when she, you know, was taking care of herself and needed to not go out to dinner, I just became so deeply enraged and, and, and hurt and made it all about me. It, in that sure. moment, it was all about me. And so I was like, well, screw this. I'm going to go just take the bath and hopefully the Epsom salts will just like draw all this toxicity out of me. And it's my birthday. And as I'm going to get into the bath, I have these like two glass shower doors and one of them gets stuck. And so I'm trying to like slide it. And I wasn't like, wasn't, I wasn't being aggressive. I wasn't like trying to like, like break the door, but... <laughs> It was stuck and, and I was, I was triggered. And so the, the way I felt that this happened is like my trauma around this abandonment was informing the way I was handling this door. And as I'm standing in this hot bathtub in this candlelit bath on my birthday, the glass door falls on top of me. Shatters. Shatters. <laughs> and little blades of glass are like, slicing my skin and I look down into the tub and there's just like not a ton of blood but like blood <laughs> dripping down my legs I was like fuck <laughs> I was I'm surprised like, it was only one I would have gone on a good 30 minute you know f-bomb tirade if I were standing in the bathtub bleeding everywhere yeah, well, it probably was more like that in the moment. Um, but like, I I instantly knew that this was like a wake up call. That this was like, Shannon, this is not about the glass door. There was like symbolism to glass shattering on my on my birthday. And like, me, me feeling abandoned when it happened. And um, I looked up the symbolic meaning of glass shattering. And it's, of course, the shattering of illusion and seeing the truth. And I felt like I could see this pattern of codependency. There was a period growing up where my mom was going through a depression for a long time. And I was always sort of in that phase, scrounging to have my needs validated and seen and mirrored yeah. and met. And here was, was my dear friend Nada going through her process. And I couldn't separate her 
emotional needs from my own and I internalized them and I made her cancellation of the dinner, her taking care of herself. I made it mean something about my um, worth as a human being. And so that shattering of glass said to me, Shannon, you must heal this now. This is not about anyone else. This is about you. And Nada is this like beautiful mirror showing me this wound in this moment. And then, and then there was something about the glass shattering that just had me listen because otherwise I I can tell you exactly what what would have happened. I would have blamed her. I would have made it about me and made it, you know, her wrong for canceling on me, but the glass shattering and that happening because of my intensity in my body and my nervous system made me reckon with it as something that I needed to look at. And so I, my hope is that this story is just like one example of how relationships can bring up these childhood often triggers that bring us to the, the core of the wound when we needed this need met and it couldn't get met. And so then we developed all of these coping mechanisms. I think about like building the moat around the castle to protect ourselves, but then these intimate relationships pierce through and get at our, our undershell, the, the soft spaces within us. And if we, can, if we can develop the courage to work with these intense moments in our, in our relationships, I mean, it doesn't mean we need to stay in every relationship because, you know, oh, I'm, I need to learn a lesson. Sometimes relationships are meant to end or grow or evolve, but there is something powerful to seeing the, the relationship itself as the teacher, as the mirror, um, especially yeah. when we feel so raw. Because, you know, for people who aren't, I don't even want to say it's something that happens when you're new on a spiritual path. Even the most enlightened among us will pull this bullshit. (laughs) It's like, I am honoring my truth. This is what is true for me. And I want to share with you all the reasons you're an asshole and you suck. (laughs) So, you know, we can, we think we're honoring our truth. What we're really doing is blaming. We're sort of, you know, spiritually vomiting on somebody else. So if you could maybe give a couple questions for the person who was in that trigger with a partner, with a parent, with a sibling, when they're in the trigger, what are a couple questions that they can ask that will help them recenter and maybe look at things not as you did this to me, but is that mirror analogy? What is being reflected back here for me to for me to learn and take away from this? Yeah, that's so great. I think there might be, um, and I and I think all of us can probably relate to it. Relate to it when the, when the pain is so hot and intense and charged, there might be this desire to vomit it out, to fling it away, to discharge it, get it off me. Dan, you made me do this. Yeah. You. (laughs) So if you can build the capacity to not suppress, but create space between you and that flinging of the pain outward and find a way to create space. So first question is how can I create space so that I can take care of myself? How can I create space so I can take care of my very loud needs right now? Mm -hmm. And then, and then I would say, 
and this doesn't necessarily have to be in a linear order, but like, how can I regulate my nervous system so that I can actually deal with this? So I don't want to suppress it and ignore it and eat ice cream or binge or just scroll on my phone. Although I would probably do all of those things at some point, but like, can I breathe and somehow, and it might not be time to breathe yet. You might need to go on a run. You might need to beat a pillow on your bed or your couch, but is there a safe way that you can discharge that intense energy without harming yourself or or someone else? And then I think once that, that discharge has happened, it could be a workout, it could be shaking your body. um, There's some inquiry of like, what's really going on here? And that's kind of a deeper dive is like, what's really happening here? And, and, and the mind might not be able to figure it out, which is also sometimes so infuriating and can kind of keep us in that overwhelm. But if you can somehow ground your nervous system, feel your feet on the ground, can I feel my breath? Can I feel my body? Can I feel this, this heat? Can I feel this rage or this grief or this wound? And then where is this coming from? What Where is, is it familiar? What does this feel mm, like from yeah. earlier in my life? That's a great one, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, oh, nobody came to my birthday party when I was six years old and my friend stood me up and now I'm triggered and feel, yeah, or whatever it is. And I recommend like, like um, possibly journaling could like, like just like rage journaling, meaning just like furiously stream of consciousness, like go, 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 go. Cause that could help bring some clarity forward while also discharging And then the final question I would ask is, what do I need right now to care for this tender wound? And like you might, you know, super practical thing, like trauma-informed practice that I learned from uh, Dr. Melody Moore is to wrap your hands around your upper arms, like your outer triceps, and, and literally kind of rock back and forth. And you can even like lift one hand and kind of pat your upper arms So there's like self-soothing techniques that like, oftentimes it just comes down to like, we want to be loved. We want to be cared for. We want to be seen. We want to be held. And so if Mm -hmm. we can kind of give ourselves that a little bit of that medicine, we can regulate and then step into the relationship and with a sense of like self-ownership of like, yeah, this is what I'm bringing to the table. And um, it's just going to be such a different conversation when we have ownership of our energy. Yeah, and and sticking with this topic of relationships, you also speak in the book about the idea that we all have a template for relationships. Mm. Usually something that we observed, something that we witnessed in childhood. And you talk about this idea in terms of when it comes to owning your truth, being a guy who was a bit of a shapeshifter. Yeah, you know, that you could mold yourself to be what other people needed, mold yourself to diffuse a situation, taking care of others. But you speak very honestly about how that pattern was reinforced for you based on your template for relationships in childhood. And a lot of times whenever we start talking about childhood and parents, I think people start thinking, oh, dysfunctional families and bad people. You you have wonderful family. You're very close with them. And through no fault of their own, they had unprocessed trauma that showed up in the household and also impacted the way that you learned to relate to others. Could you share a little bit about that? Because I think it's important for people to realize it's not that idea of like the, the, the childhood baggage from mom and dad isn't just if your parents went through a messy divorce or if somebody abandoned the family or somebody was an addict. 
that it can be very well-meaning people who are highly functioning. <laughs> There's still patterns that get passed on. Yeah. And that, that's been, that's been really challenging and also healing for me to reckon with how incredible my parents were and are and how fucked up some dynamics were that had me navigating some really intense emotional wounding at a very young age and like holding that both like holding my parents humanity but also like when you're a little kid your parents like a god you know your parent is your world so there's superman and wonder woman (laughs) until you have a moment when you realize that they're not exactly and so thank you for naming like um, of course, there's many people who've experienced really intense traumatic upbringings, and we shouldn't turn away from looking at, in my opinion, I think there can be great use in looking at these moments when we were our younger selves where certain needs didn't get met or we were traumatized. You know, uh, Peter Levine, who's the founder of Somatic Experiencing, his definition for trauma Um, really resonates with me. And I think it's helpful just to like recontextualize what trauma is. And it's anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope and leaves us feeling hopeless, helpless, and unable to respond or unable to respond. And so anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope, and that that includes a lot more than I think we tend to categorize. (laughs) Um, And so for me, the role I played in my family was I I could see my parents' pain. I could see how they shut down. Um, And my dad would kind of watch TV and drink martinis, kind of take the edge off from from his intense day as a lawyer and prosecutor. And my mom would sort of go into her room and and, and they would kind of go into these different worlds. Um, And me as a young one, like would kind of hear about, you know, my dad would say like, oh, you know, your mother or your, my mom would say, tell your father this. They would kind of communicate to me. They would offload onto me what they really should have been talking about with yeah. each other, but didn't have the capacity to. And Which so- I think would make it almost impossible to feel fully safe as a kid if you're the intermediary and emotionally responsible for your parents. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's so true. And, and I ended up feeling responsible. I think this makes so much sense, like unconsciously for like, I need to bridge the gap in communication because if she only know that knew that he thinks this, and if he only knew that she thinks this, then maybe they could commune, maybe they could find common ground. And so then there was that element of like, I'm responsible here for, for bridging this gap. Um, but there was also the other element of wanting to feel safe in, in, with them and wanting to have everything be okay so that I could feel safe. And so the volume got really turned down on my own sense of my own feelings and needs. And I, I would just identify their emotional state and then turn up the volume of who Shannon needs to be to match that. So then, of course, yeah. in my adult relationships... It's like, if I'm not trusting my truth, if I'm not listening, if I'm not grounding in, in me, I can just like amoeba into, sure. what do you need? Like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm great at meeting other people's needs. And so n- knowing that and seeing that consciously has allowed me to interact with that in a much more empowered way. And so like, I think a lot of times people are afraid of looking back. But what I think is, is like, 
this shit is unconsciously driving everything, whether you look at it or not. So for the person who doesn't know, because I know that I, when I do work with people, sometimes they can't even get back and make connections from childhood. They're so shut off and disconnected from that part of themselves. If, but I, I think a powerful way and something that you talk about in the book, right, is if you want to do the deep work, and, and this is really part of that shadow work that you talk about. Shadow work is one of the things I heard about all the time in personal development that I'm like, yeah, I get it, I think. But I think very few people know what the hell shadow work is. If there is a pattern that people are repeating, you mentioned in the book, if there is a familiar relationship pattern, I always date people who blank. I always have this experience in relationships. And that could show up in romantic relationships. It might show up in your work relationships, friendships. But if there's repeated patterns, that's really the first sign that there's some deeper shadow work to do, correct? Yes, that is the work of the second chapter, identifying that, that old template, that old narrative that just became so normal because it's what we... It's what we ingested. It's what we digested. It's what we what became our cells and our tissues. And so we don't even question like, oh, of course the world is this way because I grew up steeping in this way mm. of being. And so one of the ways that the unconscious, that the shadow comes to light is through these repeated patterns of like, oh, this is happening again in in a third relationship like whoo like okay like there's something for me to look at here i think you know where people can get uh overloaded is or 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 just like maybe lost is when when they go to a place of of like why is life doing this to me life is so fucked up and and that, while that may be a real experience there's something to being like wait a second like this might be a pattern in me. And if I can identify that that's a pattern, then that is the pathway towards healing. So that even though it might feel insurmountable, you've actually just like opened a door to a room that you didn't even know was there and can be incredibly insightful. I heard Michael Bernard Beckwith talk about this once that anytime that there is something that we're projecting onto the universe, like why is the universe this way? God, why do you, why don't you do this? It's usually just a mirror of all the things we wish we could have said to our parents growing Mm. up. Mm. And then we just like project that out. Oh, well, it's God punishing me. It's the universe punishing me. You know, that's always stuck with me. And anytime I find myself in one of those triggers, I'm like, I'll do the check-in and be like, yep, that's some mom and dad shit today. Okay, Yeah, it's right there. It's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. And I think a lot of times people want to sort of like surgically remove these wounds. But what's going to, the healing is in the, I'm going to interact with it differently. It's going to have less of a shadow stronghold on my entire existence. I'm going to have a say. I'm in school right now for my master's in counseling psychology. And one of my professors says uh, Matthew Bennett, he says, psychotherapy is the process of making the symptoms optional, the process of making the symptoms optional. And so we're, we're learning to like interact mm. with these wounds so that we have more options. It's actually a path of freedom, even though it can look like 
walking on hot coals. <laughs> you know, one of the things I talk about a lot in this in this podcast, and one of the things that you get into in the book, Trust Your Truth, is about purpose. Would you say that discovering one's purpose is the ultimate path to truth or no? The ultimate path to truth. I think there's so many doorways to truth. Sure. I think there's there's many doorways to truth. And I and I do think that each of the chakras, whether it's the crown chakra or like a near-death experience or the death of a loved one or a connection to a higher power or a psychedelic experience, or maybe it's something in the mind, like perceiving something in a new way, or maybe it's through like like the voice, like sure. having a podcast and just like speaking and speaking and you start to like hear truth. So I think there's many doorways in, but purpose is definitely one of them. And we all have a purpose and we all have a divine purpose. You know, what's called in the yoga tradition, Dharma, or, you know, Dharma is similar to your why. And it's this kind of connection to a sense of cellular destiny that each of us has unique gifts, talents, and abilities that are coded in our DNA from our ancestors, but are also directly connected to our wounds and our families of origin and everything we've been through in our, in our own experienced lives. And that if we can shed the bullshit and we can let go of who we were, who we thought we were supposed to be, and we can remember the purity of our, of our true selves and our, and our souls then we can get on a path of purpose. We can actually like live purpose. Yeah. You say in the book, and I don't think I've heard anybody say this before, anything like this, but it really stood out to me because everybody's always looking for this pathway to purpose. What do I love? What was I good at as a kid? How do I want to serve the world? You had a line here. You said shame is a pathway to purpose, Mm. which I was like, oh, I'm just going to sit and like meditate on that for a moment. That really jumped off the page at me. Explain a little bit more about the power of shame and how it can lead us ultimately to our Dharma slash purpose. Mm. Yeah. That, that when I wrote that, I was like, Oh wow. I didn't expect that to come out and come through. Like it, it surprised me as well. I was like, huh. And, but it felt really like there was something very real there. And what's real for me about that is, you know, shame is this belief that we are fundamentally bad, broken, and unworthy of love, connection. And identity, right? Yeah. 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 That I, I'm bad. I'm not worthy of that relationship. I'm not worthy of that job. I'm not worthy of that, that, that friend. Oh my God. I couldn't be friends with with her. Whoa. You know, so we, so shame keeps us in an isolated bubble of of ego and and loss of connection to that higher power the medicine of of healing shame is worthiness is loving that inner child that's alive within you is like letting yourself expand beyond your reach and say yeah i am deserving of being friends with this person like and having that job or being in that relationship where i can be seen in that way and so So it also connects us to our humanity because we all experience shame. And so if you can go to the root of where you feel shame within yourself, where you might be carrying an old template that tells you that you're not worthy of experiencing the fullness of your life, then that healing becomes a pathway for you to move forward, but it also becomes a doorway for others to see you and feel you and know that like 
they too can move onto a pathway of purpose and, mm. and enoughness. You know, a huge part of this book is healing self-doubt. And it's like, how can I really be competent? How can I really heal self-doubt? How can I really step onto my path of purpose if I'm if I don't go and heal that shame that says, you don't deserve that. I feel like you can certainly be on that pathway, right? You can be walking your path, but man, it's like doing it with cinder blocks attached to your ankles, right? It just slows you down when you're still in that old shameful energy. Yeah. Well, and just to be clear, like I still have it. Yeah. I still catch myself in like, like Marianne Williamson endorsed this book. I saw that. That's amazing. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. And I, and I love Marianne and, and I consider her a friend and, I, and I've had the opportunity to interview her four times and spend time with her at different events. And, um, and yeah, like I went through the process of being like, am I worthy of Marianne Williamson's endorsement? You know, like, like am, am, I, am I worthy of that? Is, you know, and it's like, well, of, co- of course, <laughs> yeah. you know, of course you are. And so that's, it just keeps coming up. You know, and, and and each time it does come up is an opportunity to work with it, not to deny it, not to get rid of it, not to fix it, but be like, yeah, I'm a human being. And so shame will emerge. But how quickly can I remember my confidence and my worth? What was the thing that helped you ultimately find your voice? You talk about this a little bit in the uh in the book, what was the doorway for you when you felt like, yes, I, I have a voice. I deserve a seat at the table. I, I am worthy of being here. Yeah. I think it's happened in so many stages. Like there was the stage of Mrs. Galzinski, our music teacher in Catholic school who brought me up uh, during the school mass, the, you know, school church service and had me sing with her playing on guitar with my friend Kate. And there was like that young version of like, oh, like I'm meant to sing with the music teacher in the big church. Like that was an activation of my voice. And then getting into musical theater and taking voice lessons and going to school, there was like using my voice in acting and singing. And so all of this was, was preparing my tongue and my teeth and my lips and my jaw to get comfortable with hearing myself. But, um, well, actually I would say to get comfortable with speaking. It was the podcast that forced me to get comfortable with how uncomfortable I was listening back to Mm. and hearing myself because I hated, loathed with a hot wash of shame through my whole body, like tingles of, of disgust. I could not listen to myself in these podcasts when we first started Soul Feed, my, my podcast. And I was editing the episodes when we first started. And so I would have to listen. Sure. And I eventually had this moment that I share in the book that I hope will be helpful to your listeners to her who are wanting to like use their voices um, and, and maybe even love their voices is... I started, I had this moment where I was listening back to an interview that I did with Gabby Bernstein. And there was just this one little section that came out. And even though I was hating all of what I was saying and how it sounded, there was this one section that came out and I had this hit of dopamine in my brain and was like, whoa, that sounds really good. You sound like you know what you're talking about and you're like competent. 
And so I just gave myself this little, this little slice of positive feedback for the first time since starting the podcast. And then I was like, from that moment on, I was like, okay, well, why don't you, the next time you're feeling excited about talking about something on the podcast, why don't you like kind of lean into this confidence that you're hearing right now and just kind of go a little bit further with it and own it. And so then from that point on, I was like, okay, when I listen back to myself on the podcast, I'm either going to give myself constructive feedback of like, you know, stop making that clicking sound with your mouth, which I had noticed that I would do. Um, So, you know, give yourself helpful feedback, but also notice things that you like too. And then all of a sudden I started to notice more things that I liked and I started to be like, oh, you sound good. And like, it doesn't have to be perfect. And it just was this like slow transformative process of giving myself feedback and also building a tolerance for hearing myself and realizing that like the hatred and and self-disgust that I felt hearing myself was about much more than how I actually sounded. Of course, more to do with like feeling like I was like, you know, hearing the sound of my soul and, and, and struggling to, to hear myself struggle to speak. Yeah. The invitation in the book is for everyone to record a podcast, even if they don't share it is to record on like, even on your phone, a version of them uh, speaking into the microphone and listening back. One last question. Truth. When you go on a spiritual path, It can be like you're looking and you're seeking and you're seeking to find the truth. Is the truth absolute or does it shift over time? Is your truth different at age 24 as opposed to age 34 as opposed to age 54? Is it a destination or is it an ever-evolving thing? Mm, Definitely ever-evolving. It's why we meditate daily. If you have a daily meditation practice or if you go on a, a walk or if you you know, you don't just do yoga once and say, I did yoga and I've received all the benefits for the rest of my life. Like it's a practice, a practice of returning, a practice of checking in, a practice of listening and a practice of, of transforming. Like Shannon today is not Shannon yesterday and definitely not Shannon two years ago. And I am sure you can, you know, relate to that too. It's um, truth is not of the ego and the ego wants to like create this identity of self that we adhere to and that we stick to and that I am this solid thing forever. Yeah. (laughs) But the truth requires that we dance and flow and listen and move and shed and die and be reborn and wake up again in the morning kind of willing to do it all over again. And so, yeah, the, the, the search for the absolute truth, I think is a, is an ego's endeavor, but the willingness to be in the practice of truth is the spiritual practice. And for somebody who might be, might feel out of alignment or feeling that stress today that I don't understand. I got everything I wanted 10 years ago. Why don't, why don't I feel good now? Why don't I appreciate it now? Uh, I think this book is going to be really powerful to help them just press the reset button and discover the truth today Mm. (laughs) and not based on who they were conditioned to be or what got them promotions, pay raises, love from family. Uh, The book is Trust Your Truth, 
You can pick it up right now at trustyourtruthbook.com. Uh, lots of bonuses on there too. When I looked at the website, right? You have some meditations. You take some. You take uh, people through the yoga nidra pack practice. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a guided uh, chakra meditation for each chapter. There's a couple of yoga nidra practices. There's a a dance twerking movement yoga intense practice of of movement that's going to be fun too. So um, yeah, there's a bunch of bonuses for anyone who goes to uh, trustyourtruthbook.com. Yeah. I'll try the yoga nidra and I'm going to pass on the twerking. I don't think that anybody, nobody wants to see that, including me. And that is my on, truth Dan. today. And I will own that. <laughs> Give us what we want. Give us what we want. <laughs> Shannon Algio, congratulations, my friend. So proud of you. So excited for this book. And I know it's going to uh, touch so many lives and, and help people create their next level. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Dan. Honored to be in, co- in conversation with you always and so grateful for the way you show up. And I'm just always grateful to be able to share space with you. Thank you. I always loved Shannon's vulnerability and authenticity, and I devoured the Trust Your Truth book. Highly recommend that you pick it up. Get it right now at trustyourtruthbook.com. If you love the podcast this week, be sure to screenshot it, upload it to Instagram or Twitter, tag me at CSC Dan Mason. You can tag Shannon at Shannon Algio. And hey, if you're one of the people whose head is spinning after living in the pandemic for the last year and you're having a hard time differentiating between your wisdom and the ego wanting to keep you stuck, if you'd like to create your path forward in 2021 into an amplified life with more income, impact, and happiness. I have got you. You can go to my website, find more information on my one-on-one and group coaching programs. You can do that at creativesoulcoaching.net. If anybody is on the new Clubhouse app, you can find me up there. It's amazing. Right now, it's only available for iOS But it's sort of like live audio podcasts 24-7. I've been uh, facilitating and moderating a lot of rooms up there. You can connect with me at Dan Mason. Thank you so much for taking an hour out of your week to spend with me and to work on yourself. I deeply bow to you. I appreciate your support. And I look forward to talking to you next week. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity. Turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live Life Amplified.